Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for making River Glen a part of your weekend. And no matter where you are joining us from, whether you're here in the room, over in Pewaukee, or if you're checking us out through our online campus, we're just so glad that you've set aside some time today to celebrate God with us. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sue Vak, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I oversee our group life ministry, which is all about helping people connect and grow in their faith. And like Amy said, we're starting a new series today. It's called Rally Cry. And so I Googled some famous rally cries throughout history. Now, Google equates a rally cry with a battle cry. So pretty much everything I found were things that were shouted by generals or soldiers on the battlefield. And in America, our most famous rally cry comes from the Revolutionary War. So we're going to see who the history buffs are here in the room. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say the rally cry, and I want you to tell me who said it. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Give me liberty or give me death. That's Oh, very good. Patrick Henry, right in the front row. No hesitation. Now, Wisconsin was technically wilderness in the 1700s, so I'll give the rest of you a pass on that one. But outside of war times, a rally cry is really any word or phrase that brings people together. It, it's in support of something. It's a call to move together towards something or get back on track. And when everyone knows the rally cry and says it in unison, we really feel connected, like we're all in this together. So I was thinking back to some rally cries that have inspired me over the years, and I thought back to my days as a high school cheerleader back at um, New Berlin West High School a long, long time ago. But when the crowd would start chanting, West is best, West is best, I knew we were on the brink of something really big, right? So some other rally cries I thought of, maybe you recognize this one, go big or go home, or what about one call? Yeah, yeah, probably not a rally cry, but we all know it, don't we? Okay, how about this one? Go, pack, go. Go, too soon? Yeah, probably. <laughs> all right, so the reason we decided to do this rally cry series is because many of us, we need to get fired up again, right? We need to rally around something and start moving together in the same direction. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's been hard to get excited about very much in the last couple of years because I have felt defeated more than I felt encouraged, and I've been neutral way more than I've been fired up. And I think I've felt a lot of losses, and I think some of you relate to that as well, the loss of people and optimism and momentum. And maybe you've noticed that a lot of people are talking about and writing about the significant effect that the pandemic has had on relationships. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because the rally cry that we've heard on repeat for the last two years is stay home, stay distanced, stay safe. Important rally cries for the circumstances that we found ourselves in, but I think they've taken a toll on all of us. And through no fault of our own, we've gotten disconnected and we've lost our sense of community. And as this pandemic has dragged on and on, it's become harder and harder to get excited about improving or even maintaining our most important relationships. So for the next three weeks, we want to take back connection. We want to rally around the relationships that have weakened and discover how God wants to lead us to a place of inspiration in our marriages, in our families, and our friendships. Now, a quick side note for those of you who are, are watching us on the online campus. I know that many of you are watching that way because you're staying distanced for health reasons, and we want you to know that we get it, we understand, and I'm sure that being connected has been 
really hard on all of you. You've had to be creative, and it's taken a lot of energy. You're probably feeling worn out. But I want you to know that if you've been isolated from people for a long time, this rally cry, it's for you as well. So today I want to start the series by getting us fired up about friendship. I want to help recapture that enthusiasm that we feel when we have close personal relationships. And I want us to recognize the importance of rallying around each other and the community in the church. Now, Hollywood has always understood our fascination with community, right? That's why there's so many TV shows themed around it. I mean, for every generation, there's a show where we wish we had the kind of relationships that we see on the screen. Now, some of you might remember the show Cheers from the 1980s. Yeah, where everyone in the bar knew everyone's name, and they were always glad you came to hang out that day. And of course, the show Friends in the 90s, where six friends just hung out all day in a coffee shop telling jokes, supporting one another, because they knew they would be there for each other no matter what kind of day, week, month, or even year it had been. And in the last 10 years, there's been shows like New Girl and Parks and Rec and A Big Bang Theory, and I could go on and on. And we love these shows because the characters are committed to one another, and they will go to great lengths to demonstrate that commitment. So why do we resonate so much with these shows and these characters? I believe it's because there's something inside of all of us that longs for deep connection. So what if we could find that strong connection again? What if we could say with confidence that we have friends that feel like family? What if we could rally around one another in a way that people start to notice and they start to wonder, how did you get such strong personal relationships? Well, today, I want all of us to embrace this rally cry. We were created for connection. And when we believe that we were created for connection, then we can decide to live our lives in relationship with others. So I want to spend um, the rest of our time together looking to God and to the Bible to understand how we can know that we were created for connection and how we, what it looks like to live that out. So let's start at the beginning, the beginning of this book, because we're going to go all the way back to the creation story in Genesis where God sets the stage for connection. So starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, I want you to notice those two words that are highlighted, the words us and our. Because the use of plural pronouns in this verse, it indicates that even in the creation story, God existed in relationship. So who is included in that us and that are? Well, it's God the Father, it's Jesus the Son, and it's the Holy Spirit. God lived in relationship with himself before any of us were even created. We call it the Trinity. God is one and God is three. Now, I know that it, the Trinity is a difficult concept to understand. It's, it's very deep. I've been reading the Bible since I was about 14, and the Trinity still makes my brain hurt. But in the Gospel of John, we can get a glimpse of what the Trinity looks like. If you read through chapter 16 and 17, the scriptures say that Jesus exists to give honor to God, and God exists to give honor to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit exists to give honor to them both. 
And that means that they help each other. They point to the purpose of each other, and they love each other. And since God is timeless, this relationship between the three of them, it's existed for all of eternity. God has always been about connection. He created us out of connection for connection. We were made in their likeness, including this desire to connect with one another. So let's look at one more verse in Genesis and the creation story, because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, before we see this verse, God had declared all throughout the creation story that everything he created was good. He said that immediately after he created it. He said that about the land and the water and the animals and the plants. But this statement is the first time that something in creation was declared not good. The first time that God said something was missing. Now remember, since God has always existed in community with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone because all by himself, Adam couldn't accurately reflect God's image of existing and living in community. I love the way author Jenny Allen puts it in her brand new book, Find Your People. She says, our longing for healthy, mutually submissive, supportive, interdependent relationships isn't simply us craving something good for us, like vegetables or vitamins. We are craving the fundamental reason we were created. We weren't just built for community, we were built because of it. Woven into the fiber of our very souls is a pattern for experiencing intimate relationship with God and then expressing that love in our families and communities and churches. We were created for connection right from the beginning. And knowing that our desire for connection was wired into us, that's a great reason to rally around each other. But I want you to see another great reason. And that is that when Jesus came to earth to build God's kingdom, he took up the same rally cry because Jesus commanded everyone to live in connection with others. Now, there's four books in the Bible that are called um, the Gospels, and they record Jesus's life and his ministry. They include the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the books are very similar, so some of the stories that you read in one book are also repeated in the other books. And three of those gospel books record the story of Jesus choosing his closest followers and friends called the disciples. But all of the books reference this close personal relationship that Jesus had with 12 men and several women. And just the fact that Jesus chose a small group of people to be his close companions and to sh share with him and help him spread his message, it speaks to the value that Jesus placed on connection. Jesus could have gone it alone. I mean, he could have used his power to shout his message for everyone to hear. He could have done huge show-stopping miracles like when he parted the Red Sea in the Old Testament. He could have done all those things all by himself. But Jesus chose to spread his message with a group of people who shared his passion. He modeled the importance of connection. I mean, he lived alongside this group of people, eating with them, traveling with them. He let them see his emotions, and he let them share in his miracles. He taught them to pray, and he relied on their gifts so they could go ahead of him into the next town to prepare the way for his teaching. And Jesus made it clear with his actions that he expected all of his close followers to also live 
in connection with each other. Now, all four of those gospel books, they also record a story of Jesus answering a question from a lawyer about which commandments were the greatest ones from God. And each book records the same response because Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second greatest commandment is similar, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he taught that we love God first and then we reflect that love in the way we interact with the people that he created. Now, neither of these commandments that Jesus called the greatest were, were new to the Jewish person that asked that question, and his answer was not a surprise to anyone that was listening either, because loving God and loving your neighbor, they were part of a long list of rules that had been handed down from Moses to the Old Testament priests. They were taught in the temple and in Jewish homes for generations. And Jesus revealed, elevated these two commandments to most important status. And he did that, and he said in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12 that no other commandments are greater than these. Now, for the Jewish people at the time, loving God, that made sense to them. That had always been at the center of their faith. But when Jesus states that that second greatest commandment had nothing to do with the religious rules and, and rituals that they had been practicing for a long time, but instead centered on loving people, this was a big shift, a radical shift in priorities. So it comes as no surprise in the Gospel of Luke that the lawyer asks a follow-up question. And he asks Jesus, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus answers by telling a story, a story of what it looks like to love others the way we want to be loved. So let's read what it says in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, many times when we read this story in church, we, we focus on how each of us should be like the Samaritan in the way that we treat others. And that is, a, that is a great application. I mean, the Samaritan is a great role model for how to love our neighbors. But today, I want us to flip it around just a little bit because I want us to put ourselves in the place of the man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. So I want you to imagine yourself for a minute lying on the side of a road after a terrible accident. You're injured badly, and as you're lying there, you can hear people walk by, drive by, move away as you're there hurting and bleeding and gasping for breath. Look again at what it says in verse 33. The Samaritan took pity on him. Another version of the Bible says that the Samaritan was deeply moved with compassion. I want you to think about what it feels like when someone really sees you and looks at you with sincere love in their eyes. Imagine how you feel when you really know that somebody empathizes with your pain and your heartache. 
and your suffering. Now let's look again at verse 34. It says a Samaritan bandaged his wounds, put him on his own donkey, and took care of him. Imagine having the kind of close relationships with someone that they would wipe away the blood from a wound on your body, that they would take your bloody body and they would lay it down on the leather seats of their car. And then without a moment's hesitation, no matter what kind of commitments they had on their calendar, they would take you to a hospital and they would stay with you for however long it took for you to be settled. And let's look again at verse 35. It says, a Samaritan promised to cover all the expenses until the injured person was healed. Can you imagine having the kind of friends that would freely give their own money for your medical care? I'm not talking about just until you're able to reimburse the cost of an urgent care visit. I'm talking about all of your medical expenses, every doctor, every test, every procedure, until you were healed. For some of us, it is hard to imagine being on the receiving end of that kind of care, isn't it? I mean, for many of us, it's hard to even think of someone outside of a family member who might feel obligated, but someone that would, that would willingly, no strings attached, extend the level of care in a terrible situation that we would want to provide for ourselves. Jesus' second greatest commandment, it's the one that requires us to give and receive that kind of no-holds-barred, full-out, emotional, physical, and financial connection. It's a radical and overwhelming command. But it's also beautiful, isn't it? Because if we're honest, that's the kind of friendships that we ache for because we were created for connection. Now, Jesus can only command this type of connection because he was willing to go to the same radical lengths for us when he went to the cross in our place. So how do we do it? How do we rally around that type of connection? Where do we find it? And how do we follow Jesus by living it out? Well, here's the best part, friends, and that is that the church was designed as a primary place to live out this kind of connection. Let's turn to another book in the Bible. I want to look at the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, I want to set the scene for you a little bit. Because in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had already resurrected from the dead. It had already happened. And Jesus appeared to his followers alive. And he tells this close group of friends that he's going to have to leave them to go back to God. But he wants to exchange his physical presence with them for the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So the Holy Spirit descends on this group of followers and the church is born. Now, before he leaves, Jesus tells his followers that their mission is to spread his message in their own city, in the surrounding countryside, and all over the world. So the mission is clear. They have the power of the Holy Spirit, but now they need to get organized. They need a plan for how they're going to accomplish this mission. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of how these first followers designed that first church. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that word fellowship in the verse, it could be translated as the common life or the life together. And the first church, they took Jesus' commandments to heart because it says they devoted themselves to teaching, learning what it meant to love God. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, practicing what it meant to love your neighbor. 
And many Bible scholars will say that this verse, it outlines the four pillars of the church. And life together is one of them. And as the church begins to grow and spread across the world, we see evidence of this value of connection inside these new churches. Because the rest of the New Testament of the Bible, it's a collection of letters, letters to churches and church leaders that were carrying out this mission. And in those letters, we find instructions, instructions about what it looks like to live life together in a body of believers. We see examples of how to rally around one another in specific ways. Here's some of those instructions. It says, to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Care for one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Teach and counsel one another with all the wisdom God gives. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That phrase, one another, it appears a hundred times in the New Testament. I mean, the men and women who were in that first phase of building the church, they knew how important a common life of togetherness was going to be to advancing the mission that Jesus had charged them with. They knew that they were going to face opposition and hardship and uncertainty, and they realized they were going to need each other to make it through, to stay encouraged, to face all the ups and downs of everyday life and life on mission. They probably also remembered something else that Jesus said while he was with them. Because in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is reminding his followers of that command to love your neighbor, he adds this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, actively living out our love for each other, it's evidence that we follow Jesus, evidence that everyone around us can witness. And it made sense to rally around each other. And the first church leaders, they cast this vision that, would, that the world would see that how we care for each other points to the God that we follow. And still today, God has set up his church as a place, as the place to live out this connection that he created us for. Churches everywhere, they have entire ministries designed around connection. Some churches call it Sunday school, some call it house groups, some call it Bible studies, and a lot of churches call it group life, just like we do. But they're all modeled after Jesus' command to love your neighbor and all of those one another statements that are in the New Testament. And I've been living out this life together connection within the church for over 30 years. And I can tell you that I am better because of it. I don't know how I would have survived and thrived without the people in my life that make up the one another's for me. I wanna tell you some stories Stories from right here at River Glen. Stories about how people are moving from the rows that we learn together in on the weekend into the circles of connection in groups. Here's just a few. Pam's group rallied around her when her husband died unexpectedly. They sat with her until the paramedics came, and they made sure she wasn't alone until her kids could get there from all across the country. They made her meals, and did her yard work, they helped her sell her husband's car, and they've been holding her up for the last year and a half. 
Lori's group was there to pray for her son when an autoimmune disease completely upended his life, causing him to have life-altering surgery. They listened to all the ups and downs of his treatment. They prayed with him, laying hands on him, and they sat with him during his long months of recovery. John's group has taken call after call to help move single moms and families into safe housing. They've used their own cars to move beds and couches and tables, and they picked up donated items and made sure they got to the families in need. There's one young lady at our church, and her group listened with compassion as she admitted for the very first time that she had been lying to her husband about her spending habits, and she didn't know how to tell them. And they prayed with her, and they helped her script out the words that she could say, and then they even offered to hold on to her credit cards so that she wouldn't fall back into the same bad habits. My friend Bethany's group came together on a Saturday to spend hours cleaning and preparing the new apartment she was moving into after her divorce. They hugged her as she cried, and they made sure she had enough meals for those first few weeks so that she could make it through. And then Laura and Josh's group, they took turns being at the hospital with this couple as they prepared to give birth to their stillborn son. And then that group helped them plan a funeral so Laura and Josh could grieve instead of having to figure out painful details. These are all true examples. Examples right here at River Glen of people giving and receiving the kind of love that we read about in the story of the Samaritan. And I could share dozens more. We were created for connection and the church is the primary place that we get to live out that type of connection. In my own life group, people have come and gone over 25 years, but the connection has never wavered. And my experience continues to confirm that God created us to live with and for other people. In our group, we've taught one another about taming our tongues and loving our enemies and how to use the gifts that God has given us to live out our faith. We've prayed for one another through job losses and kids who've wandered away from the faith, marital challenges, and unimaginable grief. We've helped one another through home improvements and job searches and parenting, and we've celebrated each other's children through potty training and youth sports and college choices and engagements and now grandbabies. And we've listened to one another with compassion as we face aging parents and retirement decisions and our own health issues. Now, I'm not telling you all of this because I want you to feel bad, like you're not part of some special club that only certain people get to be a part of. No, I'm telling you this because God created you for the same kind of connection. It's possible, and it's available, and it's time to rally around each other. God put the desire for connection inside of us before we were even born. And Jesus said that our greatest mission this side of heaven is to love God and to love other people. And God created the church to be the place to live out that connection with each other. Today is your day. Three times a year, we make it super easy for you to take your first step in connection here at River Glen. It is Open Groups Sign-Up Weekend. Don't leave today without talking to someone in the lobby or in the chat about joining a group. We have groups for everyone. Our life groups meet on all different days and different times. We have groups that meet in person. We have some that meet virtually, online. 
We hold groups here at our physical campus buildings. We hold groups in people's homes and at coffee shops in the community. Some groups, they just discuss the message that they heard on the weekend. Some groups use the Right Now Media subscription that we have on our website. Some groups, they just get together and pray for one another. And there is a group for you. And if you're still hesitant, I want to tell you about some easy first steps. Because we offer some short-term groups called Alpha and Rooted. And they are both great ways to try groups for the first time. An Alpha group is a safe place to explore your faith and ask any questions that you have. We feed you a dinner every week at Alpha, and then you watch a short video, and then you just circle up around the table and talk about what you watched, learning and connecting together. Now, in Rooted, you're going to enrich your faith in some practical ways. You're going to read the Bible together. You're going to pray and serve together as a group. And Rooted is a great way to really dig deeper into what it looks like to live out this connection with others. I want you to watch a short video from some people who have experienced connection in Alpha and Rooted over the last several years. And I want you to hear what it meant to them. Take a look. When you walk into Alpha for the first time, there's a bunch of tables set up, and I randomly came in, sat down at a table. The Alpha table, to me, was the most safe circle to be in. Uh, my Alpha table for their wisdom, I had several people much older than me with a lot more life experience. You sit and have dinner together. The, the table consists of a leader and a helper and then everybody that's brand new there that has all these questions. We were able to sit there and respect each other and understand that we were all there for the same purpose. Watch the same video, but with a whole different table of people, it's a totally different conversation. And by the end of it, it ends up being like a family. We were invited with absolute open arms. We still get together, we still pray for each other, we still meet, and we still have a group of us that does life together from Alpha. So the Rooted experience is a great way to practice community and be in community with others. I got to meet people that I didn't know that were kind of outside my circle of influence and I think that's that's been very good. Our Rooted group that I really liked is that it felt very homey and very open because it's just a group of people that we got to know very well and we actually still know them well as their small group to this day. Just to allow everyone to get the most out of it, it's a trusting environment. You can talk about anything. They don't want anybody to hold back and not get to where they can get to by the end of it. And it is the best and easiest way to meet people and to stay in community. Um, which I think is so important because we all need somebody to walk with us through this faith journey. We were never meant to do it alone. I want you to know that we do not script those videos. We just say to people, hey, tell us what your experience was like. Now, maybe you're already part of a group, um, but you haven't attended for a while, or maybe your group has just drifted apart. Now is the time to get back together, set a meeting date, get reconnected. Or maybe some of you here in this room who've tried groups in the past, but for whatever reason, you're hesitant to try it again. I want to encourage you, give it another try. Because I believe great connections are possible and they're just waiting on you 
to take a chance again. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to take your next step in getting connected. So stick around today in the lobby or in the chat room to check out Alpha or Rooted or one of the open life groups that's represented. Don't let another season go by where you feel isolated and you're trying to figure out how to do this life on your own. You were created for connection. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for creating us with a desire for connection, connection with you and connection with other people. Thank you for modeling what that connection looks like at creation through your son Jesus and through the church. God, help us to recognize that you want to care for us and grow us in our relationships with others. God, give us the courage to open up to the people that you've placed in our lives. I pray today that many people listening would take their first steps towards connection by joining a group. I pray for those who've drifted away from connection, that they would turn around and move intentionally back towards it. God, help us to be brave and honest as we follow you into meaningful connections with others. Pray these things in Jesus' name.